This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, the place where I show people how to escape the rat race using real estate. Lately, we've been showing people how to use the, or how to escape the rat race using a lot of creative real estate. You just got to shift your focus from making piles of money to making streams of money. Change that one thing just one time and you are on your way. You're on your way to financial freedom. It's not the most exciting path. I promise you that it's rather dull and boring. Oh my God, is it boring. But it is the fastest. And once you get there, life then becomes exciting. And that's what it's all about, right? And, uh, you know, speaking of exciting, we've got more creative real estate investing today, specifically on creative real estate financing. Now, over the, uh, the last few episodes, we've covered various creative deal structuring. And, and a question came into me this week. And we've been getting a lot of questions. This is, a, this is the creative real estate investing thing is a hot topic. And everyone's got a bunch of questions. So um, I got a question from Brenda, uh, Brenda Blakely. She gave me permission to use her name. And she had asked a very general basic question. And this isn't the only time I received this question, but the question was, do these types of deals really work? Now, I've been doing this for a while, investing in real estate for more than a decade now, and I've been coaching and training for uh, training people for, I don't know, a little over six years. And I've worked with enough people now to where I know almost exactly what their experience is based on the questions that they ask. And a, a question like, do these type of deals really work? What that does, that that suggests to me is that there's not a lot of experience there, not a lot of experience out in the field. Um, it all it also tells me that Brenda has likely been, say, to a few seminars. She's purchased a course or two. She's heard some similar ideas as to what we've been discussing here the last few weeks. She might even have given it a go herself a couple times, only to be shut down and discouraged. And then she started looking for a different program or a different coach, a different method, whatever. And uh I ran that by her and I was able to confirm this with her that uh, I was right on the nose. So if, if the creative ideas that we've been discussing the last few weeks isn't the first time that you've heard them, like like Brenda, she's heard them before, and um, you know, but you've heard about them, but you've yet to pull any of them off. I wanna share with you what I think, uh, what most teachers and gurus from, from stage or on a webinar, they conveniently forget or they fail to mention. What that is is yes, all of these ideas work. They do say that. Each and every one of them do absolutely work. Will they work for every situation though? Absolutely not. And, and when I hear a fellow educator out there training students to build, say, their, their entire investing business around subject twos, around that single strategy, or around, or around just lease options, or around even just wholesaling, I cringe a little bit. And sometimes I cringe a lot depending on how they present it. Because, you know, say, for example, if you were to start looking for motivated sellers and you are only submitting subject to offers, you know how much opportunity you are leaving on the table? You know how much money you're wasting in marketing? How much time you're wasting in, in prospecting? I mean, if you did that, if you just submitted subject to offers to all the leads that came your way, you're going to burn out so fast and you're probably going to go broke on marketing dollars before you ever do a single deal. You see, it takes a very unique 
and special situation for a subject to deal to be a solution for the seller. And just because that that subject to deal for the seller was rejected doesn't mean that, say, an option would have been a good solution for that seller. Or or a private lending structure wouldn't have worked for that structure. Or a note buyer wouldn't have worked for that structure. Or, say, a purchase and then repurpose and rezone type deal wouldn't have worked. Or maybe just a straight wholesale deal could have worked as well. So what I'm getting at is take each one of these ideas and just put them in your toolbox so you can call on them when you need them. You know what I can what I can tell you Brenda is that none of them will work unless you can find motivated sellers. And that's something that the gurus and the educators out there they tend to forget. They'll tell you how to how to do deals all day long, but they won't tell you how to find them. But so if you can find them, then the doing is a whole lot easier. So don't, so, don't worry so much about the strategy or the technique until you have a motivated seller of which you're hip to their problem. And then once you know what their problem is, you can now look in your toolbox for the proper tool and present the best solution. Got it? So good question. Great question, Brenda. And I know you're not the only one who had it. So that's why I answered it. Alrighty, so let's do a, a rundown of nine tools, nine tools for creative financing. I want you to take note of them. I want you to understand how each one of them works individually. And then I want you to go back to the homework that I gave you a few episodes. I wonder how many of you actually did it. Did you do it? Did you actually do your homework? Remember when I assigned you that assignment of to uh, write $100,000 at the top of a piece of paper? And then I wanted you to start, uh, come up with at least 10 different ways of how you could pay off $100,000 to somebody. Well, I've given you a bunch of strategies in the last few weeks. I'm going to give you nine more today. And I want you to resume your homework or start it if you haven't started it. I just want you to take all these different strategies and mix and match them in various ways of how you could pay someone uh, $100,000. What that's going to do, it's it's going to get your wheels turning. I want you to keep on going until you just can't do it anymore. But also what it's going to do, it's going to uh, create a skill for you. And you're going to be ready for when that opportunity hits. And you're not going to be sitting there going, oh, I don't know what to do, right? No, you're going to know exactly what to do because you practiced. Real estate investing, it's a skill just like anything else, just like shooting a three-pointer. It's a skill. You've got to practice it. And the more you practice, the better you get. So it works just like that and everything else. And all right, so let's go. Number one is hard money, okay? Not really creative, but hard money, that is a um, that is an option out there. It's a hard, a hard money loan. It's a specific type of asset-based loan financing through which a borrower receives funds secured by the property, not by their credit, not personally, typically by the property. Hard money loans, they're, they're typically issued by private investors or private companies. And interest rates are typically much higher than conventional commercial or residential property loans because of the higher risk and the shorter duration of the loan. They want to get paid on their money. So if they're going to put it out there for a short period of time, they want a good return. So most hard money loans, they are used for projects lasting for, I don't know, for a few months to a few years. The big advantage of hard money is you can typically access it fast and it's not based on your credit score. So you don't have to go through a giant underwriting process. And, and if you say, say you stand to make over $40,000 on a project, who cares if you paid $10,000 on interest and points over that six month period that you were working on it, right? So um, it's it's all relative. It's not gonna be a good fit, just, for, just like what we're talking about. It's not gonna be a good fit for every deal but it is there and it can help you get the deal done. So, you know, if that deal is going to pay you 5,000, of course, you don't want to pay $10,000 on interest and points, right? So that's not a good fit there. So that's hard money. Uh, Number two, seller financing. 
we've talked a lot about this, but I'm putting it in here because it still has to do with financing. Uh, sometimes the bank is going to loan you, you know, they'll loan you 80, 90% and allow a seller to take back a second mortgage uh, for you, say for five or 10%, leaving you needing only maybe 5% or nothing down. Sometimes if the seller has the ability, they'll go ahead and they'll finance the entire thing. You know, 80% of my entire portfolio, uh, 77 units to date. Um, we've done a lot of reduction lately, but we're down to 77 units. Um, 80% of that portfolio was financed with seller financing, okay? So I wanted to bring that up again because I think that's uh, one of the best places and easiest ways to actually do no money down deals or having very little money into the, the, the deal for yourself. Number three, land contracts, also called contract for deed or contract for sale. They got a few different names out there. Uh, what this means is it's just the seller lets you make payments. They make You make payments over a contract, but you don't get title until you've completed and executed the contract. So until you've made that final payment. Um, it's more of a business transaction than it is a real estate transaction. It's just another way to do it. Uh, I like land contracts when I sell property. Not a big fan when I buy them. Okay. But, but if the deal is good enough, hey, I'll still do it. It just depends on the deal. So land contracts. Now, uh, credit cards. Yeah, credit cards. If a seller is willing to take, say, $5,000 down on a property, uh, would you expect to profit $25,000? Why wouldn't you use a credit card? I mean, it might even deserve to be your first choice for financing. This is how, how most people are using Epic Fast Funding in just this manner. I mean, this is a true zero down deal for you. And if you turn that the project around in six months, you know, for that amount, you probably paid 400, 500 bucks in interest, say on an 18% uh, credit card over at Epic Fast Funding. It's 0% for the first 18 months. But you probably pay 450 bucks. Would you let $450 get in the way of you making 25,000? No, absolutely not. I hope you wouldn't. So credit cards, think, think about them, okay? It's just, a, it's somebody else's money. Just because it has credit card and just because it fits in your wallet, just because you have easy access to it, just because you know you were raised to, to say, watch your credit, watch your credit balance, doesn't mean it's a good solution for your deal, All right? That's number four. Uh, number five, retirement accounts. So there's some rules and regulations that you're gonna have to abide by, but check with a tax attorney to see how you might access funds from your retirement account or even someone else's. It's a great source of money. You, and you, there's a lot of noise out there around uh, investors and programs and stuff trying to access those retirement funds. Reason being is there's enough money in retirement account accounts to actually pay off the national debt. That's where all the money's at, trillions of dollars. It's ridiculous, okay? So, um, you know, uh, look at your own retirement account if you got one or someone else's. And whether you pay yourself back or, or you pay someone else's back, if that's tax-free money for that retirement account. So it's, that's a typically creates a good win-win solution for people. That's a good deal for anybody with a retirement account. Number six, your network, specifically friends, family, associates. And uh, don't ask for it, by the way, because I'll get a little weird when we go and ask for money from people that we know. Don't ask for money. No, present them an opportunity. Give them the ability to get something back. Okay, you're offering them a favor. Show them your deal. Offer them five, six, seven percent, whatever it may be, whatever the going rate is. And don't think that you're that they are doing you a favor. Don't think that. Don't come into a uh, that conversation as a position of, in, of inferiority. You got something hot. You got a deal, right? So don't think that you that uh, they're doing you a favor, especially since their money it's probably in the bank earning less than one percent anyway. 
So just make it all about business. And if you use this source and don't feel that, you know, loaning you money at 7% is a gift. Okay, don't feel that it's a gift. It's, um, you know, if their money's just getting 1% or 2% in the bank, hey, you just did them a favor. Now, what I would recommend is you absolutely pay them back or else that could make, you know, Thanksgiving a little uncomfortable. So that's number six, your network. Uh, note buyers. Example being, uh, you want to purchase a $100,000 property. By the way, there, I've seen a lot of stuff coming through my Facebook feed on note buying seminars. That might be a place to, to go where you, even if you're not interested in notes, that might be a good place to network and find people with money because those are people that want to buy notes. Because you know you can't leverage notes, right? You got to buy them. You can't get a loan from the bank to buy them. So people, typically people that go to note buying seminars are people that got cash in their pocket. So that'd be a good place to collect some business cards. Anyway, um, let's say you want to purchase a $100,000 property, but the seller needs the majority in cash. Okay, they need they need most of it in cash. And, and you just don't have the cash. So what you can do after you picked up one of these little business cards at one of those seminars, you can structure this deal where the seller raises the price to $110,000. So they raised it 10 grand. And then separates that into two separate mortgages. So they got a $100,000 mortgage and a $10,000 mortgage. You then sell that $100,000 mortgage to a note buyer at a $10,000 discount, which is typical, right? So you sell it to that note buyer for $90,000. So the seller gets his $90,000 in cash and a $10,000 note. So he got his $100,000. He got most of it out in cash. And what you got, you got the property with no money down. You got it 100% financed, and now you make payments for that $10,000 note left with the seller, and you make payments for the $90,000 note to the buyer. Got it? So why would you spend $10,000 more than what the seller wanted? Well, because the deal worked. It made sense, okay? I'm, don't ever ignore that part. Just don't do this stuff because you can. It's still got to be a good, de a good deal for you. Number eight, equity line of credit. Again, that's just another source of other people's money. You can access, you know, existing equity that you have in other properties or even if it's even if it's your primary residence or you can do a cash out refinance. Maybe that you can do that. Um, now, whatever you purchase, just make sure, as with all of these examples, that your deal is going to pay you back more than what it costs for you to access your financing. It's got to pay you back more than what it costs you to use that money. All right. So equity line of credit. Number nine, joint venture or partnership. So there is... Then when I say this, there's more money out there than you could possibly imagine. We talked about uh, retirement accounts a couple suggestions ago. And uh, all that money, people are just saying, gosh, I wish there was an opportunity that presented itself because my money is just sitting there. And if, you know, if you're short on funds, that might be tough for you to imagine. If you've never had a lot of money before, that might be tough for you to imagine. But that's a problem for people with money. So don't discount this, Okay. All of that money, it's trying to go somewhere. If they want to put it somewhere, they want a return because it's right now, it's sitting there, you know, who knows where it's sitting. But it's really tough to even just get, you know, 3 or 4% dependable return by through conventional sources these days. So a 5, 6, 7% that actually is going to return that, oh my God, it's you just have to start talking about it, okay? Um, so if you come across a deal that satisfies the needs of that money, that money that's looking for a home, you can access this rather easily just by forming a partnership with the money people. You see, they put in the cash, you do the work. And uh, I had a number of these until I got too many of them because it can be a little cumbersome as far as bookkeeping goes. That's why I went ahead and I transferred everything into the Epic Wealth Fund for these types of arrangements. 
But um, joint venture partnership, great way to go. It's how I've built a, a good portion of my whole real estate business, how I've been doing it for the last decade. Alrighty, so there you go. Nine tools for your creative financing toolbox. And I've used every single one of them, but they're not applicable to every deal. So don't try to introduce every one of them to a seller when you've come across one, okay? Don't try to make them all fit. I, I made this mistake when um, I'm getting started because I was so excited about what I had learned and I couldn't wait to just go out there and crush it with all my newfound knowledge. And so I made this mistake of, you know, every time I sat down with the seller, I said, we could do this, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could do that. And all this did was it just kind of raised red flags with a seller. Plus one, I was a little too eager but uh, really raised flags because they didn't really understand it. So remember, you are a professional buyer. You're an investor. You're a professional buyer. Most sellers are not professional sellers. So you've got to keep this thing simple. And, you know, the, the more creative you get, probably the slower that you'd want to introduce that. And, and that's exactly why I started using the three-option letter of intent. We've talked about that a lot recently. It's just it's a staple in my business. I use it daily. You know, once it's been established that the lowball all cash offer is not going to be a good fit, that's when I follow up with the two additional options. Options of basic creative structures, very basic ones, an interest-only seller carryback and a principal-only seller carryback. And I send that to them. And then I follow up with them. Hey, Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller, which one did you like best? Option number one, option number two, or option number three? Can y'all do that? Can y'all sell by the numbers like that? Which one did you like best? Option number one, option number two, or option number three? Very simple, right? And then I just sit there and I shut up and I wait for their response. And then based on their response, I will then dig into the toolbox that I just shared with you today, the toolbox that I've been sharing with you those this last few weeks. I go ahead and I look in my toolbox to see which tool is going to be the right one for the job. So if you'd like to get a copy of my three option letter of intent, you can, and you can get the calculator as well. And uh, it's available to you for free at epicloi.com. Epicloi.com. All righty, y'all, to your success. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio.